0: This is Developer's Journey. My name is Tim Borgineau. Thanks for joining. A few months ago, I had the chance to interview Amitai Schleyer. You might know him from his podcast, Agile in 3 Minutes. If you don't know the podcast, well, you should definitely um, try it and listen to it. It's absolutely gorgeous. Um, Amitai was very generous with his time. We spoke for um, well over an hour and I am absolutely sure you will love this episode. This is the first interview I publish here, so I would like to say a couple of words about it. Um, I've been recording a few interviews, um, some of them in German, some of them in English. Um, I still don't know how I'm going to handle um, the German ones. But I would like to start publishing some of the, um, the interviews I record in English. Um, this will come in addition to the um, walking podcasts uh, or episodes I have published uh, until now. I would very much like to play on both um, fields. Um, on one side, providing you with regular updates so that you can really follow the, um, the thinking process and the writing process. But on the other hand, I was lucky enough to have those discussions with uh, incredible speakers and I cannot keep those for myself. Um, those people communicated their developer's journey or their journey in general. And this is something um, that is too good for this, uh, for this project. Until very recently, the interviews I recorded were pretty long. So this one included. Um, recently, I um, changed the format and started recording um, half an hour interviews which is way better Um, so you'll have to uh, bear with me for a few interviews um, with that long um, discussions and um, a whole lot of content and um, after a while we will come back to um, shorter ones a bit more focused so you will get a mix and match of those interviews and uh, those uh, walking podcasts starting well now Without further ado, um, here is Amitai Lai.
1: It's kind of crazy to see you live right now. <laughs> I feel I feel with the uh, with the all um, um, Twitter and uh, and agile in three minutes and everything. I know you I know you well, right? But <laughs> it's uh, it's just a feeling, I guess. That's a really cool uh, thing to hear. I mean, it's I heard it from
2: actually a coworker that I hadn't been on the same team with for a consulting company. And uh, we had a lean coffee at the same client, and it was the first time we had met each other. And he had read my blog stuff and listened to Agile in three minutes, and he said, I feel like I know who you are already, and you are the same <laughs> as what I felt like after he got to know me. So it's cool. It really it, it, it feels good for me to know that I'm, I'm representing my real self when I do that stuff.
1: I, I'm, I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. Um, as I said in the, in the, in the emails, so I'm, I'm kind of uh, pondering writing a book. Um Or a new book or something like this um the more I search about it, the more I realize that there 's a lot of things already in this space um that i hadn 't found before, so that that will be a part of the uh the questions I have for you um well, the whole idea was um how do we teach and how do we learn um This all comes from my from my background uh more and more as so I was a developer, and I still consider myself one, although i haven 't made a comment in a professional space like. For ages, um, <laughs> uh, in the last years, I've been Scrum Master, Agile Coach, and and um, sub project manager, and all the crazy shit. But well, I still consider myself as a developer. Um, but with something like seventy or eighty uh, interviews, so uh, job interviews in the last year, and and two hundred profile screen, etc. Um, I kind of uh, stumbled upon the the whole um, how do people learn um, um, topic. Mm-hmm. It's it's bugging me. It's completely bugging me to see always the same profiles of people that kind of um, let themselves um, carried by the flow and don't seem to care really much or don't seem to understand what um, what a well-rounded human being uh, in the development space should be. And so I started writing down things about this, so um, it started with with um the the topic of uh, ethics so much uh, so much well I'm mixing it German in there <laughs> So <far it's> okay. <laughs> it might happen yeah, it might happen sometime um so for for instance the uh, topic of ethics um it started with a whole discussion about uber um the whole uh, data um data uh, gaze from uber and uh, the n s a stuff and then stumbling on this uh, or building it building up on, on those uh, topics. So now I have something like 30 or 40, 40 different um, topics I want to address. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of growing. <laughs> it's growing by the minute. Um, and I expect coming out of this interview with uh, maybe a, a couple more. So <laughs> we'll see what that goes. I'm guessing
2: your challenge is, uh, as the product owner of this kind of book, what not to include because it's
1: such a big topic. Yes it is, mm-hmm. so I give myself a hard um hard uh, uh limit um I want to stay under hundred pages. Mm-hmm. and I'm not allowed to play with the font size. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I, I want to tackle the the student market or the uh, the um the uh, um i want to say newbie maybe padawan that's the that's uh, that's in the air right now so the Padawan market and I think anything that goes above hundred pages um will will risk uh being skipped and not read I, I i have a i have trouble um reading books that are three or four hundred pages because i have a, a small son and i never get uh that much time so i, I need short chapters and something like um really high paced so i think for me for i would appreciate something something shorter but well so that's that's for the uh the whole uh the whole uh uh, background, uh of the whole thing. And what's, what's, um, what I would like to, to discuss with you, more the, um, first of all, the the teaching part and the, the learning part. So, as I understood, you have, um, multiple cycles, um, in your, in your past, um, and then the whole, um, agile, um, the whole company structure and the whole, um, um, well, maybe millennials. I will put in some millennials in there, but we'll, we'll come to that. So, um, Let's start with the beginning. So uh, this 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 cycles you had in your life, mm-hmm. how does it change? How do you learn? Uh, do you have some, some some tips for me in there? Uh, I did just sort of touch on it in the last Agile in three minutes,
2: uh, which mm-hmm. was just enough about me so that people would maybe give me some feedback because I haven't gotten a lot. I get a little bit, uh, okay. but nobody really says, you know, here's what about the show really works for me. Here's what really doesn't. I was trying to make it a little more personal so that people would. Uh, so to go a little more detail with the with those little cycles, uh, there were several times, and I think at this point I have to say it's something about my character because it keeps happening, uh, several times that I go into some kind of an endeavor, whether it's high school that everybody's expected to or college where I'm from everybody's expected to, uh, And get to a point where it's not working for me. And at the time it seemed like, uh, a fault of mine or a mistake of mine because everybody else didn't have any trouble finishing high school or college. Uh, but now I see it as a gift that, uh, none of the, none of the paths that people are expected to follow in life, uh, I've been able to just follow. Mm-hmm. either I've run into something about it that doesn't work for me and I don't resolve it and I simply don't follow that path or I run into something that doesn't work for me and I resolve it well enough eventually and then I I do follow some version of that path. So for high school, for instance, I knew I just had to get done because there was the ticket to get out of the house and I needed to get out of the house. <laughs> of the mm-hmm. house. Uh, for college, it took me two tries. I didn't mention it in the episode, but... Uh, so I dropped out when I was about 19 and got my very first job, which was at a company in the town where the university was, which was not where I was from. Uh, and they, they were the kind of company that it was the early days of internet services and anything that your company wanted you to do, they suddenly did it. So Mm -hmm. network access, uh, T1s, they had a partnership with SGI back when that was anything that mattered. Uh, IBM stuff, Lotus Notes, mail servers, Unix, uh, web design. I was the cross-platform web design guy, uh, and my knowledge know. about web design is still stuck in 1999. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, and and I got paid $18,000, which is okay. nothing. It is so nothing. Uh, I lived on in an apartment that was above a garage behind a fraternity house. Okay. And I was thrilled because it was just enough money to afford that and some food and to get on the bus every day. And so freedom. Yeah, and so that first step was lucky, really. I, I got the job because I knew someone from playing Ultimate Frisbee. <laughs> okay. And he he knew that I wasn't a complete waste, and he figured he could get his company to hire me for something, and that was what something was. Uh, but so what that did for me was... Uh, I dropped out of college because I didn't. I had the intellectual capacity, whatever that is, for whatever the coursework is, but I didn't have the patience because I was still very much a teenager in my brain with the, the fast feedback not being fast enough. No patience, no delay gratification, nothing like that. Uh, and I think part of that was good. Like the, the reason that I needed that kind of feedback is that I didn't know what I'm here for. And until I know what I'm here for, I don't know what I should do. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to class that isn't answering that question, then I'm just I'm doing the wrong thing, writer, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't have the words for it then, but I, I had that sense. Uh, so I just ran out of patience and didn't do a good job and started playing with computers instead, on the suspicion that at least that dulled the pain and maybe it would be a marketable skill. <laughs> <laughs> And that's what I found in that first job, is that there was this one way that I had made myself a little tiny bit useful to people. And that became the yardstick that I measured myself by. And it became the way that I could tell if I'm doing what I should be doing. Because there's lots of things that interest me, but to what end? And this was a way for me to figure out that I, I have a place in the world, at least one, at least a tiny one, where there's work that I can do that matters to somebody that helps somebody, mm-hmm. and it was a very small somebody, and it was a very low level of skill, but that mm-hmm. feeling, that feedback of this is this is a direction I should go in this direction, and I should make myself more useful and find myself a bigger place, mm-hmm. was the beginning of these cycles, as I think of it.
1: Did Did you realize it back then, or is it something that you you realize? Uh, uh later on looking better looking back at it
2: well I didn't I didn't realize it was going to be uh, such a high value for me in my life to figure out if I'm useful and make myself more useful Mm -hmm. I knew that it it put me at ease emotionally just about immediately when I found that and so it must have been I knew it was something important I didn't know for what but I knew
1: it was something Mm -hmm. mm-hmm Yeah, I I am just jumping. Uh, I had uh, this this question for for way later. I I finally listened to all your um, uh, uh, Scrum Master Toolkit podcasts uh, mm. yesterday. I, f- I finished this uh, on time. <laughs> I was I was amazed by your last uh, last comment about um, about where you write this? Um, about thinking of becoming a therapist at the beginning, <laughs> <laughs> which I find I find really interesting because. Um, I don't have the same, the same path, but I always wanted to become an architect. And The real and kind. No, the real kind. Yeah. yeah, the real architects also, uh, buildings and stuff. Mm-hmm. And something like uh, being 14 or 15, I started uh, working in this space and soon realized, well, no, that's not for me. <laughs> way too, many, too too much paperwork and way, uh, too few uh, drawing and real work on buildings. But somehow I ended up uh, in... Software, uh, software architecture, building stuff, and now sliding in the in uh, in the uh, in the empowerment and helping people. But it's also something that I I absolutely didn't realize back then and realized only a, a couple of years ago. And you seem to have had similar paths, uh, thinking about something when you were younger and then coming back at it from a complete different angle but doing the same thing. Uh, I wish I could say I did it on purpose. <laughs> 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 it would make it sound
2: like a plan or something, but it would not it's <laughs> uh, interesting you mentioned architect uh, my experience as the son of an architect my father was one uh, He and he did a lot of his work in Chicago that's why we were there um, what he seemed to get that was fulfilling out of that kind of work was probably a model for me that I only realized much later that it's so cross disciplinary you have to have this engineering skill just to even be in the game but then you have to have this artistic taste and discernment that sets you apart from somebody that can make rectangles.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, and then beyond that, uh, what he had trained for originally, what he had wanted to be that he was thwarted into architecture was a diplomat. Okay. He grew up in Israel and uh, he dreamed of being posted to the North African countries and building relationships with those countries and friendships with those people. And there was exactly one university when he was growing up in Israel that had a uh, foreign affairs kind of a diplomatic program. And after a year, this is kind of funny, I guess, in retrospect, the department imploded for political reasons. Uh Its own university political reasons. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Yeah, and so he was kind of adrift looking for, well, this is everything that I dreamed of, and now I have to find something else. And uh, a cousin of his that he was close with said, well, you have an artistic temperament, that's a tough life, but if you're an architect, you can get paid for it. And he said, okay, that's what I'm going to do. So uh, so another aspect that I think was fulfilling for him is the uh, the client communication and relationship, the problem-solving relationship. And he actually got to use that aspect of it, the diplomat aspect, in one of his clients was in New Zealand. It was, it was the Maori, and he was working on their meeting houses, which are uh, holy places that they have their, their family ceremonies or community ceremonies. Mm-hmm. And he was doing, uh, uh, I forget the exact context, but there was a project for the Field Museum in Chicago, which he was also restoring, mm-hmm. and they wanted to put a Maori meeting house as an exhibit permanently <laughs> in the Field Museum. And the Maori were not interested; they have them all in New Zealand. They have them where they want them that 's fine with them uh, and somehow he he struck up a relationship with the right people and made them a deal, and they were willing to do it with him, where they put one in the field museum and that means that Maori around the world, whenever they want to have use of the of the meeting house in the museum. <clears throat> And so he got to put not only his architecture skills to use, but his diplomacy skills to use. And so that's that's the kind of stories that I heard about as a kid, of this is a fulfilling kind of work, that I have the the math brain, and I have the art brain, and I have the human-centered brain. And for me, the human-centered brain was uh, a late arrival. (laughs) I started out (laughs) as a programmer uh, because I didn't want to talk to people. And I, I understood computers, and people didn't make sense to me. (laughs) <laughs> this, I think, I think ties back that. to what we said about the first question, which these these cycles of me trying to do something that is a path that everybody else is on and having it not work for me. Uh, and another gift about that is that when I get something to work for me, it's not usually natural talent. It's usually uh, intellected. It's usually strategy. It's usually if I need this to work, then I got to figure out how. And that has been a real blessing as what eventually became a coach, because I'm less like Michael Jordan, where I have this immense talent and I couldn't explain to someone else how to do it. I'm more like Phil Jackson, who coached the Bulls, who played in the NBA for a long time, but not because, you know, he was tall, he was athletic enough, but he wasn't going to beat anybody purely by being athletic enough. He stayed in the league because he was smart and he figured out how to be a great teammate, uh, and he could always explain to you why he was where he was. He had, he had something in mind. He had a reason for it that he had figured out. He was wily. He was clever. And that kept him in the okay. game. Uh, and because his success was through the intellect, he was a world-leading coach. He's probably I think he won the most championships of any coach in the NBA. Uh, so I like to think of myself, if I'm going to be like somebody, not like Michael Jordan, maybe like Phil Jackson. <laughs> and I have—I'm lucky in that sense that that anything that I figured out how to do well in the workplace is because uh, I tried things first
1: that didn't work, and the only way I got things that did work was by thinking about it. Okay, so you're really able to verbalize what's what you what you're doing, and and then uh, come back to it and really realize oh maybe know it beforehand and realize it beforehand. Um, that's something you described in the um in. Something like uh, the Thursday episode, I think, uh, the coaching you did um, in the company. So going one week, um, doing coaching for another for another team in, inside your company, and you you, you were really uh, really um, uh, what's the word for it? I like you really knew what you were doing. It, it was not something like oh, it 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 sounded like it, um, not not realizing it in retrospect and and okay i I did this I did this and did this, and it worked, but I purposefully do, did this and purposefully did that, and knew exactly what I was uh, going to get out of it.
2: interesting that you heard it that way I guess yeah, I guess the the rest of the story is all the times that I interacted with people, not that way <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay okay no uh, that's a good, that's good so that's something I really uh, cannot do myself um i'm kind of a, of a gut feeling person. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really reacting to things um, that has um, caused me a lot of, of uh, painful uh, uh, fights with uh, managers or people uh, that felt threatened by stuff that came out of the blue um, because I just saw an opportunity and say, okay, right now I have the right, um, the right uh, stars alignment in the team to try something new and I cannot wait for it, I cannot explain it to the other peoples, um, I have to I have to start yep. right now. Exactly. I have to start right now. I have to plant the seed right now or it won't work. And often people just don't get it and I get in trouble afterward. Um, but it's um, the other way around from what you expected or yes, what you explained.
2: And yes and no. Uh, I think for me, I also am very uh, emotional in the moment and intuitive about what needs to happen next. Uh, and then I guess what I'm good at is the rationalizing back to what I must have been thinking through to have that feeling. Uh, I can always at least come up with one explanation. Uh, but it, it is it doesn't it feels emotionally driven for me too. I I go and I ask some questions and then I have a guess about what to try, and I might not be able to tell you why that's the guess that I came up with, although I usually can. But I think I didn't ask, answer your question from. Before, uh, I I talked about my dad as an architect and I never came back to what the question was.
1: Do you remember what it was? Uh, We were jumping out from from topics to the... If you're not worried, I won't won't worry. (laughs) No, uh, the questions are just uh, just, uh, uh, anchor points and just to drive the the discussion. Um, So let's steer the discussion in another direction. Um, What makes an excellent developer in your mind? Uh... Or, or let's say above average
2: yeah I'm, I'm thinking about the distinction that I want to make if any uh, uh, on the one hand I don't think that I ever have been an excellent developer and on the other hand I think that I am one and I'm trying to think about which definitions I'm using on the one side and the other hand <laughs> uh, yeah so okay I got it the coffee is still working its way through Oh, okay. (laughs) So I never have been an excellent developer in the sense that uh, I never got much of a computer science education. My first time in college, uh, I took the intro to computer science, which was in C++, and I got a C+, not two pluses, just one plus in the class. Yeah. Uh, Although I did make a lifelong friend who was the recitation instructor because uh, there was a homework assignment where you're supposed to take input from the user and uh, they give you a number and you factor it into the prime numbers that go into it. Mm -hmm. And I guess the goal was to learn how to use a for loop, but because I was a math nerd as a kid, I had an optimization where the for loop wasn't from two to the number, it was from two to the square root of the number. Because if you Mm -hmm. keep track of your prime factors and there's one on this side of the square root, there has to be one on the other side of the square root. Mm -hmm. And uh, he hadn't seen that before. So he said, this <laughs> okay. this guy's kind of screw up, but he's also smart, and I have thing, and I want to get to know him. And later, that's the guy that hired me into my first programming job a few years later. Okay. No. And so that's, that was a formative thing. Maybe we should talk about that in a bit. Um, so not an excellent developer because I never had much computer science education. I had that. Uh, when I tried to come back a couple years later, I took systems programming and data structures and algorithms, neither of which I did well in, but at least data structures and algorithms uh, made its way into my head that a lot of people have thought about a lot of these things and there are ways to characterize them and talk about them. And next time you're in a situation, you don't have to do all the thinking yourself. Mm -hmm. That stuck with me, that was helpful. It gave me like a, a mental framework for the way that you store the data affects the way that you can use the data effectively. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was that was one thing that I learned, but I didn't get, you know, most of the stuff, <clears throat> excuse me, most of the stuff that uh, all my programming friends learned, I never learned. And they're always surprised that I'm getting by without it. <laughs> uh, and then just in terms of, like, how many languages do I know? Not many. How many languages do I know well? Definitely not many. Uh, can I... Program my way out of mission impossible like some of these friends can no I would need a lot of you know stack overflow and Google and books and teammates uh, So just as an excellent developer in that definition no never have been But what I have worked my way over to I wasn't excellent at this to begin with either is figuring out who needs this and How can we tell whether they got what they needed? And then figuring out whatever I have to figure out to get there. In other words, learning. And that has always been, I think, a strength of mine, and I've really honed it because I know in this field I can't know nearly everything there is to know. But I can figure out uh, how to focus on what there is to know next and then acquire it Mm -hmm. and then figure out what to know next and then acquire it. And have that be directed by again being useful to the person that I'm trying to be useful to.
1: That's very interesting. Being useful.
2: Um, yeah. it's, like it's being become like an
1: overarching that.
2: thing for me. It's just mm-hmm. I just want to be useful.
1: I I can completely uh completely uh relate to that. So I have the, the same feeling. The uh I had the CS class. Uh, I wasn't good at it either, but I. And my programming does a lot with uh, Stack Overflow and uh and checking out right and left. But that's exactly what I'm what I'm getting at right now is um is for me being a good programmer um is mastering the rest. Is being uh being good enough in the in the in the programming uh part, uh, good enough to so I'm kind of uh, putting what you said upside down. So um, good enough in and being able to uh, to get the next piece or know to where to get the next piece in the programming side, um, but being excellent in the rest, being such a well-rounded person that you can um, you can um, um, I don't want to say fix, but I don't have any better words, So fix fix the problems you have in the in the in the CS part. With people' skills, with getting, the right, uh, getting it right the first time, in terms of, of requirements, if them of what you are doing and not how you're building it, etc. Um, and this is what I miss in a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I see more and more people coming in saying,, yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm the best at J.-E-E, whatever." Um, I say, "Well, cool. <laughs> um, but how well can you implement exactly what the client wants? Mm-hmm. Well, he has to describe it right. Yes, and how are you helping him right. doing this? I'm not.
2: Bye. <laughs> so then we maybe we can have you on this corner of the room, but we can't have you in this discussion that we're having. Yeah.
1: Exactly, yeah. exactly. So I I can give you a module, but I have to describe it so well um, that actually I can pay for another, people, another person uh, doing this right for the first time. So it's, it's kind of exactly what, I, what I'm going at. There, there's this di- dichotomy between the good programmer and the good human being. And, uh-huh. and for me, it's one, it must be one, one and only uh, a single person. But yes. it's hard to get at. I see what you mean. And that, yeah, that's, so that is, I agree with that. Uh, um, if, if I can put one word, I often see the, 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 uh, the adjective uh, senior. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm a senior developer. What does it mean to you? Have
2: you seen this before? I have. Uh, It puts me off a little bit, and I guess when I hear it, I assume this person doesn't want to be treated as junior, but I don't know what they're good at yet. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's what it means. I have to find out, you know, when they say they're senior, uh, they don't want to be lumped in with some other programmers that this person may have heard of. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. But it's it's also a title you give yourself. So I still have to figure out what you're good at.
1: Okay. Do you have any expectations? Uh,
2: expectations that, that are borne out in reality or expectations that I keep being disappointed about? <laughs> Either way. <laughs> Either way. <or. laughs> uh, I, hmm. I guess I have a tiny expectation, which is... I don't like people who label themselves more than they have to cuz I don't like to label myself more than I have to. Uh, I was trying to futz around with my with my job description on my uh, company's intranet and it started off with uh consultant and coach or something like that cuz that's what they hired me as. And I kept messing with it cuz I didn't I didn't like that. Uh my company also does software development and I would like to eventually be on one of those teams. And I don't want to position myself as somebody who is separate or other. Uh, that's another theme in my life is to make myself uh, be able to be included. Uh, and so I felt like the the name under my name was something that would make people feel not connected to me. And so I mm-hmm. changed it to something that maybe could be okay. And I, I ended up with Team Problem Solver. I don't totally love it either. I just, I don't love the label of any kind in general. Mm -hmm. So if somebody says senior programmer to me, what I'm hearing from them is it's about their needs. It's about how they've been misperceived in the past or how they've been perceived they weren't comfortable with in the past. Just like any any street sign or any regulation, it's always a reaction to something that happened
1: that was the opposite of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Um, Yeah. It can be the uh, I mean, I have a senior in my in my t- job title as well, yeah. uh, but that came from the uh, from the company structure. Okay. Uh, so, but I try to have a definition for it uh, in the background. So when if somebody has asked, asked for it, so I, I could give my definition of it uh, in the context to, uh, of that workplace or in general. Um, it's kind of pretty general, I would say. Let's hear um, it um for me the senior is um that i'm um it kind of relates a bit to mentoring um i kind of have um the willingness to um uh, to um well let's use the, the word mentor to mentor um somebody that would be described as a junior so i'm not only um I, this is this is the uh, the 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 different levels that i see um, the junior is, is primarily somebody that is going to be um, um, soaking, um, uh, absorbing knowledge um, while creating value. And the senior is somebody that's going to be radiating uh, knowledge while creating value and helping other, uh, 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 uh absorb it. And so you can be an excellent uh, programmer, which I'm certainly not. Um, but not be a senior because you want, you are primarily concerned about uh, the work that you're doing and, and how you're doing it and less about your team, team uh, co-workers and or team, teammates and how they are um, doing. Um this is, this is the dichotomy I, I, I found in, in the workplaces I work for. So, um I really enjoyed working with seniors that, that really, um wanted other people to do well. And that's, that's where I'm kind of getting at, and this is how the company I work for right now sees it also. Well. Uh, that's kind of, uh, of uh, nice.
2: I will, let me see if I can restate it. Uh, so yeah. that if uh, if there's some kind of an average developer uh, in terms of how much they know and how much they like to share or learn, senior is above average in how much they know and how much they like to share and junior developer is below average in how much they know but above average in how much they like to learn something like that
1: um almost but not quite okay. uh i i wouldn't see the senior as um as uh, above average in what they know um they're certainly knowledgeable but um they shouldn't be, shouldn't necessarily be, uh, necessarily be, uh, uh, uh prime experts in everything or, or in, uh, okay. so it, it's more, it's more about the, the willingness to share, the willingness to, uh, to I teach, see. the willingness to bring people forward. This yeah. is what makes a senior for me. Okay. <laughs> Oops. I just got a little bouncy there.
2: What did
1: you say? Yeah. You were kind of
2: hung up, but that's okay. Um, uh, so I, I'm doing a thought experiment. Yes. And whether this label, so I I would love it if that was a widely shared definition that everybody that was saying senior developer in the world meant, uh, I like to share what I know. I don't know if it's true.
1: (laughs) It it is definitely (laughs)
2: not true. (laughs) uh, I'm also thinking about just definitionally, uh, the first two weeks on this job, there were five other guys that were also hired and they were all in various developer roles and I was intended to be in a coaching role. Uh, And what they did is they gave us the catechism of, here's Scrum, here's XP, this is our company values, we work this way. And it's important, at least when clients ask you, to be able to answer certain kinds of questions. Uh, And of course, you need to know for yourself the reasons why we're doing this, if you don't know it already. And I was, first of all, I was thrilled, because I wasn't the one doing the explaining (laughs) Uh, for the first time in a long time. And uh, also, it was really exciting, because what they gave us after a day or two of that was now you have a week and a half. Here's a project idea that one of our executives had. Do it and practice this stuff as you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And that was cool. Uh, and the reason that I'm using that as my thought experiment now is uh, a lot of the guys in the room were young kids that know JavaScript like the back of their hand. My JavaScript is still from 1999. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but so they were super expert at that, and I would pair with them and I could I could follow patterns that had already been followed in the code, but I didn't really understand what was going on some of the time. Um, and then the flip side of it is that we needed some kind of – we picked somebody's laptop to be the, the build server, and nobody knew how to write a shell script the way that I knew how to write a shell script, mm-hmm. which is what we needed to, to automate and maybe have the computer shout if the build was broken or whatever. And so as far as they were concerned, in shell scripting, I was senior. And as far as I was concerned, in JavaScript, they were senior. Mm-hmm. To me, that is a, a roadblock in the label itself. That It says it, it's, it's something about the person, but it also, if it implies anything about the state of their knowledge, then it can't be about the person. It has to be about an area. It's some function of the person and the area. Something like that. Mm-hmm. So... So that's one uh, possible objection. Another is that um, at the client that my my company is, uh, I guess it's our biggest client now, uh, our delivery lead is looking into some kind of mentoring program. And she asked what I thought about that. And I said, first of all, I've never been formally anyone's mentor and I never had a formal mentor. Uh, and I'm kind of uncomfortable with the concept. I don't really like the idea that, uh, you know, there's a mentor and a mentee and one of them is the Jedi and one of them is the Padawan uh, and that all the learning is unidirectional uh, or, you know, slightly less bad that uh, all of the subject learning is unidirectional and then maybe the learning about how to do the teaching comes back in the other direction. I don't see it that way, and the the informal relationships that I've had where I have learned or been helping others learn for their own careers, uh, I've experienced some things and thought about those things, you've experienced other things and thought about those things, Uh, but neither of us has a head start on the other or a pedestal over the other or status over the other. And especially the relationship isn't formal. I Maybe that's my hang-up, but I've never been comfortable with formal relationships in an org chart in the first place. I don't like being in power. I don't like other people being in power over me. Uh, I don't like traditional forms of authority. I, I have a very particular definition about what I think an authority is. And it just doesn't have a place for me in a learning relationship. Mm-hmm. For me, I don't know how universal that is either. But when I have learned the most, it's been, uh, because I needed to, which is again back to that feedback loop about what somebody needs to get done and what I have to figure out to get it done, uh, mm-hmm. or and or when I've been accompanied by someone who needs to learn it also or can help me learn it as I go. Cause they're, they're expert about that thing. Okay. Uh, and I think it would have gotten in my way if uh, if someone said, for instance, in that context, that Roland was the senior developer, or uh, or Roland was the tech lead, and I was the the junior developer, or whatever it was, I think it would have hindered me. I just I, what, yeah, yeah, you know, this is an insight about me also, so this is good. Uh, I like to put myself in situations where. I have to be a little better version of myself than I already am in order to succeed. Mm-hmm. Not too much, but some. And if I come into those situations with a label on myself about where I'm coming from, then I've, I've anchored myself in the wrong direction. Okay. And so again, like a junior developer or a senior developer, I think that it, it promotes in my head, at least a more fixed mindset. Which is exactly what I don't need. And so I just like to think of myself as myself. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and, see, then, and then
2: push who that self is to solve the needed problem. And then I carry that with me for next time. But I think mm-hmm. the labels, I, maybe I'm unusually allergic to the labels. I don't know.
1: It could be. Okay. I feel
2: like I went off on a huge tangent from
1: that one. No, that's for filthy rights. Um yes the, the uh, so I I see a different uh, um a difference between senior and expert uh, for me senior um kind of, of relates to the person and expert relates to a topic ah. that, that's how that's how I made the distinction but but you were right in what you say so I, in if if you use senior in both in both um in both worlds then you have a problem cuz you can be a senior in javascript and and a senior in my definition of, of things and you don't know what, it's kind of uh, of uh, relating to the uh, architect. So what's an architect? Is it an enterprise architect, is it a project architect, is it a developer that knows how to architect his code? Well, it's, yeah, don't get me started. You <laughs> didn't ask, but um, I hear architect is someone who likes to tell other people what to do. <laughs> that's another definition as well, true, that's true. <laughs>
2: I may have my own problems that I'm bringing to the forefront here, yeah.
3: That's good,
1: that's good. <laughs> Um, and on on the mentor side, yes, I, I, you're totally right. Um, I I kind of relate to that as well. So um, for me, the mentoring is not something you need directional. It's not something um, that is purely bidirectional in uh, learning and teaching in the other direction. Um, the only the only experience I have, I, I never had a mentor myself, uh, but I kind of uh, stumbled upon a mentee uh, a a couple of years back. Um, and that was one of our junior, really junior, so just coming out of high school, um, that just started, started with uh, working with us, and he had a lot of questions um, on how the company is making money. So how? So we, the company is kind of doing projects, is kind of doing um, uh, support, is doing um, um, further development. So um, uh, third level support, and 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 uh, how do you call that in English? flow well, uh, implementing new features in a in a, in, a, in an old product, and also um, uh, uh, slave handling, so uh, sending consultants uh, right and left, and so he was really interesting in the whole uh, in the whole um, uh, uh, spectrum of how we make money, how we make sure that if a consultant uh, suddenly has no gig anymore, uh, we still have a mattress, etc. And this is something I was I was really eager to uh, to understand myself, and he pushed me in there, mm-hmm. so. I could I had a head start, uh, um, so I could answer a lot of questions. But I was forced to uh, to introspect and and uh, search for it myself. And this evolved into a, a kind of a weekly discussion. Or, or we're working on the same project right now, so it's easy to uh, to talk every week on 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 the side. And this is how our mentoring kind of relationship evolved. And now now it's been on code, it's been on architecture, it's been on patterns, but also in entrepreneurship and learning and everything. And so, this is really going both ways.
2: It sounds like it started with very smart questions, like, how is this a business? How am I going to get paid? What do I have to do to make the company it, more money?
1: Really it, smart it, yeah. questions. It, it, it was, was really smart questions. Uh, the guy is really smart. <laughs> so, but Cool. He, he, was, he was really uh, unexperienced and able to pinpoint the, you know, the right questions. So, that was good. Um, if I can drift, so uh, I want to be respectful of your time, so uh, I'll go on with, uh, with a couple questions. Um, I would like to talk about, about millennials, so the, uh, the the new hires that will have probably never uh, experienced the, uh, the hard-on uh, waterfall project and will jump right away into this kind of agile mindset Um, Have you experienced such uh, co-workers already? Uh, I suspect some of those
2: five that started with me a year ago uh, Mm -hmm. are young enough and green enough to have skipped that part, and they came into a company where they're not going to have that part. Mm -hmm. Uh, Although we may have clients that that put them up to it, Uh, but maybe their first experience, uh, sort of the normative definition of how a project is well done,
1: isn't that. So maybe, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I must have. Have you noticed something different about them, about how they approach uh, projects? And... Thinking about it.
2: It's been, what I've been at for the last year is, is not that. I've been in uh, a, a safe installation at a large company okay. uh, with not millennials at all. So I'm trying to think back to the impression I got of those. I think I don't know enough to say. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't been in
1: the fire with them. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that's right. Um, then, then on different, different angle. Um, how much do you need to know about um, about projects, projects to be a to be a good developer? How the project is driven, how the project is is uh, reported, how the project is is set up. Um, this is something you could completely ignore, but I don't think that's healthy. And how much do you need to know? I think it ties back with our, our
2: discussion about being a, an excellent developer. Uh, an excellent developer is, to me, and I think to you, a developer that wants to know as much as they can about the context that they're doing their development the development in. Because it's not just sit in the corner and do your programming. It's somebody's needs are going to be met or maybe not. Uh, somebody's problem is going to be solved or maybe not. Somebody's money is going to run out or maybe not. And the better developer you are, the more you want to know about that, whether it's in project form, whether it's a product development situation. I think that's that's part and parcel of being uh, an excellent developer, is that you have a concern for – it's not that you uh, don't see value in the division of labor, that there's somebody who's more focused on that than you are. That's probably okay but it's also probably okay for you to know as much as you can
1: before you dive into being busy. Mm -hmm. Uh, You just said um, you kind of identify uh, other people's needs. Mm -hmm. Is this what we should be after?
2: Well, uh, my bias is yes, because the only thing that has helped me figure out what to do with my career since I was 19 (laughs) is to be useful to people. Uh, so that's the only answer that I know, and I think it's a good one. Uh, useful is a is a handy conversational shorthand for somebody else thinks that what I did was was good for them. Uh, but if you go a little bit deeper, it's not just that you know I can I can file my Excel spreadsheet, whatever it is, a little faster, or that I can turn around this process a little less uh, error-prone, whatever it is. It's, I have a job to do, I have a self-concept, I have loved ones, Uh, I have a limited amount of time on Earth, and I want to spend a little less of it on this dumb Excel spreadsheet, or I want to spend a little bit of it, less of it uh, filing that process with mistakes in it. And then I want to go home with a concept about myself also having been useful to someone else with the work that I did. And so this is, this is sort of a chain of I have succeeded as a developer when someone else in their work has succeeded at being more useful to whoever they're useful to. Mm-hmm. And my job is as an accelerant, as a catalyst. And if you think about it in those terms,
1: maybe it isn't so different from coaching. Mm-hmm. It is. Uh, it's just... Uh... Makes me smile. Um, do you know Scott Hanselman? Uh, I know the Scott? name. Yeah, I haven't listened to him. Yeah, he's a he's a, um, a Microsoft uh, uh, employee and kind of evangelist or whatever. And he tweeted a, um, a few years back: um, uh, "People, if you're not if you're not saving, oh, if, you're, if you're, um if your code is not saving babies, you need to chill out." <laughs> <laughs> And I, I love this quote. I just love it. <laughs> it's it's exactly right. And and uh, one of the answers from one guy was uh, was uh, well, but what if it is? And, and the answer was well, then you don't have enough coverage. <laughs>
2: <laughs> God is and, saving babies. You should probably chill out too and make sure that
1: you're writing it carefully. Uh,
2: exactly.
1: Okay, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's really relates to that as being helpful to uh, to something, having a purpose, um, which was. One of uh, the key elements I took from your last episode, uh, purpose. Well, um, watching the time, yeah, still have a couple of minutes. Um, you said at the beginning we should come back to uh, about, uh, to networking. Um, you were introduced uh, in your first job with this uh, from this teacher, uh, or this assistant, who uh, was a teacher uh, back then, I don't know. Um, how much did networking play a role in your career? I don't know uh
2: to begin with well the more I think about it a lot um to begin with it was something that people said you should network you should network, and I was super introvert and I, I knew that I didn't know anything about anything and I did not feel comfortable going up and you know elbowing with people at parties or whatever uh but even at the beginning of my career, every job that I got was always through somebody that I knew. I never got a job with a cold interview off the street because I was not a college graduate. I didn't have a traditional background. uh, I didn't have a long list of technical skills. But whenever there was somebody that could vouch for me that said, listen, uh, he'll help, then I would have an interview and every time I had an interview, I had a job offer.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, And that was kind of my pattern for a while. I I think I recently, in the last few years, kicked it up a notch further, which is that uh, Twitter has been an immense help to me in being able to get into conversations with people when I was trying to make the career change from uh, having been a developer, having been a product owner and Scrum Master, but it kind of sequestered in a a big, dumb bank that was not agile happy. I didn't feel like I had a community of practice anywhere near my profession. And I was looking for mm-hmm. uh, the people around me didn't seem to value what I valued. They valued the results. They valued the, the high value, the low cost, the low risk. But then when I would explain how I did it, they suddenly didn't want it anymore. It was very strange. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> uh, it was a very confusing time. And so I was looking for who, who out there cares about what I care about. Mm-hmm. and I was lucky to find ways to get into conversations with those people there's some some mailing lists for coaches uh, people on twitter that I found to follow and every now and then because it's so constrained I felt bold enough to to reply sometimes because I'm not taking a lot of their attention I'm just taking a little and if it's a good reply maybe i can I can bother them about it uh, mm-hmm. and from there it just kind of built up and then, you know, when I had this idea to make this tiny podcast, people seem to be drawn to it. It seems to have gotten me into more conversations. Uh, I would say in the last couple of years, networking has become more something that I do more intentionally because I feel much different than I do when I was younger. There are some things I do know about. Uh, I have changed my personality quite a bit so that I can talk to whoever and, um, uh, I no longer feel as a result that networking is something gross that salespeople do. <laughs> it's it's something that regular humans do. And I'm a regular human sometimes.
3: <laughs> so sometimes. so uh,
2: <laughs> It's been something that, that definitely in the last year or two has become more
1: intentionally part of my my toolkit. Okay. Um and um I, I agree with you. So I, I, I heard this uh, this this uh, this um, advice a lot when I was younger, and couldn't really relate to it. And now that I'm on the other side, now I say, hey, young guys, you should do it. <laughs> uh, how would you convince uh, young, your younger self to, you know, to do any to doing it? I don't think I would. Uh, I was very stubborn. I still am. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I think well, I, would, okay. uh, you know, I might try, but I might also recognize that that young guy—he uh, was—he was much better at single focus concentration than this guy is, and he was using it. He was putting his nose into a book or putting his nose into a programming problem. He was trying to learn the way that he was able to learn at the time. Uh, I wouldn't—I wouldn't tell him to change. I would just tell him, you know, maybe it sounds weird when your dad says it, but. If older you says it, maybe you don't have to have such a strange reaction to it. And when the time comes, it'll be a little easier because the advice came from me rather than from from dad.
1: <laughs> okay, so maybe a uh, kind of, of as as a, as a uh, not a closing question on this topic, but, but almost um, how how um, uh, how much of a negative impact could have uh, such a such uh, um, kind of advice, how to be an excellent developer, I've uh, had on your on your past self, that would lead to you not being the well-rounded person you are right now. You see, you see what I mean? Yeah. Um, if we change the past, then we change your you right now, and maybe uh, you, the past you you followed um, is exactly the one you should have followed to to come where you are. And mm-hmm. if we tweak something um, in the past, then maybe we change something. And what do we, we miss now? Exactly.
2: Yeah, that's so. a cool question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've had a couple of chances to think about that based on how my, my life unfolded. Uh, one of them was uh, the university that I really wanted to go to out of high school for computer science was Carnegie Mellon, which is one of the top computer science programs in the, in the world. And they admitted me but they didn't give me as much money as the school. that was not as good that I didn't want to go to nearly as badly. And at the time that was a big concern. And so I went to the school that I needed the money. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Uh, And then I had a bad experience and dropped out and other things happened and I met that recitation instructor and life unfolded as it did. Mm -hmm. What if I had gone to Carnegie Mellon? How do I know I wouldn't have dropped out of there? Who would I have met? I have no idea, maybe not as good of people. Uh, maybe they wouldn't have bent over backward for me because there's enough smart people around there, whereas at, at Case Western in Cleveland, we were few and far between. <clears throat> so we had to stick up for each other. <clears throat> I honestly have no idea. Uh, I do give thanks now that everything has kind of evened out and I found a path that works for me, that I had that path that I was on. Because I, I really don't know if I had gone a different route what I would have failed to learn. Because I had a lot of failures, so I had a lot of chances to learn to get here. Still have probably lots more in front of me. I just don't know what the barrier. <laughs> uh, I sure hope for you. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but that was that was crucial because that recitation instructor at Case Western uh, that kept an eye on me. I went off to work for a dot com in Boston for about a year, where I was. This was in 2000, 2001, in the dot com era. Uh, mm-hmm. I was the Uh, The local desktop support for the people that were in the office, but not mainly. But I was also the sysadmin for the servers that ran the site, but not mainly. And then I was the web developer for the site, which would have been mainly if I had any time left over from the other two. (laughs) (laughs) So everybody wondered why I'm not getting anything done. So at the end of that, uh, my friend back in Cleveland, he had an inkling that maybe I had learned enough about programming then maybe now is the time. And so he d- he did this kind of informal, uh, just over IM. Talk me through designing a text editor. You're you're writing a text editor. What are you thinking about? What are the the actions the user needs to take? Uh, how are you going to represent that? Uh, have you thought about this edge case? Just explain to me your thought process and your problem solving process, just to see if I was ready in terms. And whatever that conversation was, he decided that I was. And so he had been at this company for a few years, even though he was a year younger than me. He was just mm-hmm. on a very accelerated, he was a grown up the whole time. I was not, <laughs> so <laughs> okay. uh, he went to his employer, and he said, he said uh, I have a reputation with you now as a, as a focused, effective person, and I'm gonna risk it because there's a person I think you should hire. And he's very non-traditional looking, and it maybe doesn't look like a good idea. I'm pretty sure it is a good idea, and I'm staking my name on it. This is a good friend. And uh, he said, so bring him in as a a contractor for the summer. Don't pay him very much. If it doesn't go well, you're done. If it does go well, make him an employee. Don't pay him very much. Uh, And I'll handle, you know, he said, I'll handle the part where we have to teach him a lot of stuff, because I didn't know anything. And so they went for it and he taught me the basics of Java and object orientation and DDD. And this was, this was again, a lucky thing for me. I wasn't the millennial, but I landed in my first real programming job, not having learned enough in college to have to unlearn anything on an XP team. They were doing XP Uh, so much that they brought in Ron Jeffries for a week just to make sure. And, uh, I didn't really understand much of it at all because I didn't know enough about why all those things were important. I did understand that I was surrounded by people who were every bit as smart as I was and then some, which by itself was exhilarating. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I did understand also that they, uh, every single one of them believed that it was not sufficient to be smart to do good work. You also had to pay attention to yourself as you're doing it. And so all these little habits that I have now, like uh, uh, one thing that I remember learning during the the fire hose that was that time in my life was uh, to do uh, like an integer comparison with the – uh, with the constant on the left side. So you couldn't make an assignment by mistake, but you had to let the, the compiler would tell you if you did one equals instead of two. Mm-hmm. Uh, stuff like that. That That's one that I remember. There are also dozens and dozens and dozens that I didn't understand at the time. Mm-hmm. But I did pick up that they had this pattern of behavior where it's not just that I'm doing the thing to get it done. It's also that I'm seeing how I'm doing the thing so that I can get it done better, so that I can get everything after it done better.
3: Mm-hmm. That I
2: took away with me, and about ten years later, I finally understood XP. So that that was for me. That's what I thought. That was what was imprinted on me as how to be an effective programming team was how these people behaved and the fact that they thought XP was the stuff. Mm -hmm. So I got real lucky uh, with my networking by by having one optimization in my for loop as an undergrad, uh, and having the teacher that noticed it and thought that there was something worth pursuing. It was life-changing for me.
1: Yes, it, it is. <laughs> uh, looking back in the past, was always, uh, you realize there is one small such thing that would throw everything out. Uh, it was the same for me for going to Chicago. I uh, would have made, yeah. uh, missed that. My whole life would be completely different. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Um, do you have, um, a couple more minutes? I do, and
2: I definitely want to make sure I talk about music because I didn't... Sure, yeah. sure. Uh, go ahead.
1: Well, what what question did you have in mind? Maybe um, I would like then to make a, just a sidetrack on Agile in three minutes at the very end. Um, I'm kind of um, done with the whole all the points I wanted to uh, to talk about. Uh, music is certainly one you didn't talk about in the in the whole past. So yeah, let's touch on music. There. Cool. Uh,
2: so, in the same way that Chicago was life changing for you, uh, New York when I went back to college when I was twenty was life-changing for me. Uh, for one thing, I actually did get all the way through all four years and graduated finally when I was 30, which is six mm-hmm. years ago now. Uh, and the other is that I met my fiancé. Mm-hmm. I would not have if I had not gone to New York for this, for this program. Uh, mm-hmm. And the way that I landed, in particular, on my graduate program, uh, a luck of networking. So I had gotten involved in 2001, 2002, in uh, developing NetBSD, which is an open source operating system, and specifically with PackageSource, which is the cross-platform Unix package manager that originated for NetBSD. And I was still living in Cleveland at the time. There were no other NetBSD developers there. In 2004, I went to visit my sister, who was in New York, and uh, while I was there, I wanted to meet some of these characters that I've seen behave so colorfully on a mailing list. And, uh, so I met a couple of them in person, and at the time I was thinking about which universities I was finally going to apply to. I was 25. And I was explaining, you know, I'm not exactly like a like an incoming freshman because I'm not 18 anymore, and I'm not exactly like, uh, like a transfer student because I haven't recently been at university, and I definitely don't have any professors that are going to recommend me. So for each of these places that I'm looking, like a, a serious university, like Harvard, MIT, Stanford, Berkeley, uh, Carnegie Mellon, again, all the really good places that I, I wish that I had gone in the first place, uh, for each of them, it's, it's called their admissions office and find someone that I can explain my peculiar situation and get, you know, a one-off piece of advice. And some of them said apply as a transfer, and some of them said apply as a freshman. And I was talking to two NetBSD guys explaining this. And one of them said, oh, well, have you heard about Columbia's School of General Studies? I said, what is this? Uh, so Columbia is an Ivy League school, but I didn't know anything about it. And uh, the School of General Studies was made uh, something like a century ago for, uh, I guess, for people on the GI Bill to be able to get an education, a real education. So American mm-hmm. soldiers returning from, from war. Uh, but it's, it's, what it is now is just a nontraditional traditional Uh, route for adult students to get a real liberal arts education and so it wasn't going to be like night school it wasn't going to be community college this is maybe you're 26 but we're gonna give it all to you Mm -hmm. Uh, and I had no idea until one of them explained it to me because he was there he was finishing up and so he gave a tour and that wound up being absolutely my top choice and they took me and I went there uh, and that was a huge life decision uh, that was again afforded by the networking, uh, and what I did there was to get a music degree, which is why I thought of it. But also, before I lose the thread, uh, when I graduated, two NetBSD developers who were friends of mine from Beer in the New York area, who were at this, who were they were at Morgan Stanley, and they were in IT security. I didn't know anything about banking, anything about IT security, but they had a software product that they had thrown together that they needed someone to maintain. And they hired me for it because they knew that I could handle it, just barely. Uh, okay. So, again, NetBSD got me to the right university where I had the right experience where I was able to get a degree, and then it got me into a job where I was able to learn everything I needed to learn to make the jump to what I'm doing now. Okay. And, again, it was because of people that I knew. It's always been people that I knew. Uh, I think the job that I have now is the very first one where it hasn't totally been people that I knew. Although somebody that I went to high school with wound up working for them, uh, at the same client and probably put in a word for me after a while. So even then it was people that I knew. You may be good <laughs> Uh, he's also a done that guy, uh, Eric Dietrich is his name. He writes, uh, he writes a blog. Okay. So, so he, <laughs> he went to high school with me and he wound up in the same place and he did go to Carnegie Mellon. Okay. Lots of connections there. So I want to talk a little bit about music, uh, My undergraduate degree that I did get when I was 30 is in music. What I really want to do with my life is to compose. Mm -hmm. And uh, I see being a developer and coach as a means to that end. How come? But I think there's also a feedback loop. Uh, Well, because uh, having a career in music when you're uh, not super talented at performing, which I'm not, is a really difficult one. And I also reflected on when I've been a full-time programmer and I had ideas for programming projects, I would come home at night and I didn't want to do them. And so I thought, Mm -hmm. if I have a music job, then I'm not going to come home at night and want to compose.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And uh, I've, I've been able to do enough of the one and the other to see that they actually recharge each other. One of the best work environments I've had was when I could work from home in my last job I had uh, the keyboards next to each other. I had the computer and the big screen here, and I had the piano and the music stand here, and when mm-hmm. I needed a break from the programming, I would play the piano, and when I came back, I was energized, and my brain was working well, it was good for mm-hmm. everything. Uh, and so, knowing about myself, that I have these two different kinds of thinking that I do, the one that is very focused, feet on the ground, people-oriented, problem-solving, concrete. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, uh, kind of head in the clouds, follow <clears throat> follow my creativity, uh, not for anybody else but me, mm-hmm. and that I like doing both, and that they recharge each other, it makes me want to design a life where they're both part of it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I know that if I were somehow able to you know, win the lottery and then only compose music, it wouldn't work very well, because I would be in the cloud the whole time. Mm -hmm. And if I uh, if I only do software development, it's pretty fulfilling the way that we do it now where we're coaching and working in teams. But there's still something about music that that is missing. There's some aspect of fulfillment that I get only from music in life. Mm -hmm. And so I get about 85 percent fulfilled from my day job, but it's not the whole story. And so what I'm trying to work my way toward is how can I make myself as expensive as possible which I think is equivalent to saying, how can I make myself as useful as possible? It should be. How can I, like what is in me that I can offer all together all at once that is so useful to someone, they would pay a lot for it.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And I'm working toward that and then use that to do less of it so that I don't have to work 40 hours. Maybe I can work 20 and have that be enough. Uh, and then with the time left over, be with the family that we hope to have and make the music that I hope to make. Mm-hmm. So it's all part of a plan, sort of, as much as anything that I've ever been able to plan. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: yes, isn't it always? Yeah. Uh, that's, that's really funny. Um, I interviewed a, um, uh, a developer I know from, from conferences, and he said kind of the same thing. Um, he discovered sports. Something like uh, you know, midway through his career, so uh, he something like uh, fifteen years of experience right now, and and just five six years after starting, he realized something was missing, and started jumping uh, headfirst in, into sports. And now it's something um, exactly what you said. It's, it's the, the the balancing acts that he needs to be energized in his in his uh, in his development career. He really needs this on the side. So yeah, it's it's pretty good, good. very cool, wow. I hope I hope it works out for you. Uh, he can do that. Um, do you know the uh, the podcast, the Enter Programmers? That ring a bell? No. Could you send that to me? Yeah, sure. Um, I'll, I'll send you the link uh, right after. So it's it's a uh, it's a discussion from from three or four guys. Um, one of them is John Sonmez. Maybe you've heard the, the <laughs> name before, yeah. the author of uh, Soft Skills, mm-hmm. and the uh, simple simple programmer. I think this is blog, and so they're just discussing uh, stuff. On Skype and recording it and publishing this as a podcast, but the 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 key the key piece the key element is they are all um, kind of programmers um, growing into entrepreneurs and they want to buy their freedom, and that's exactly what they say. How can we make ourselves so expensive? Then we don't have to write to work too much anymore and do really the things we want. That's cool. I have to send you a link to Eric Dietrich, my friend, because he's
2: writing. Oh please, a book. please do. Uh, He's writing a book and he has some blog posts that are related to this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Developer Hegemony. And he says that okay. if developers realize it, they have all the power in the workplace. Because everybody needs what we do. Yes. And based yes, on yes. that, here's what development based workplaces should look like. And maybe
1: what careers should be shaped like for developers. Mm-hmm. Um, have you heard about the book, The New Kingmakers? It's cold. No, no, looking it up. There's Eric's book. That's exactly what's what's happening right now. Uh, that's that's the part I, I more or less um um talk about in the ethic um, uh, chapter. It's mm-hmm. we we are the ones that are at the or we developers are the ones that, that are at the beginning and everything. Uh, of everything we see how products are built and we see what's what comes in and what doesn't and after us there's nobody nobody who uh, still sees the whole picture um, it's a black box and if we don't raise the hand and say well this is not a okay, case so what what happened with uh, Volkswagen uh, mm-hmm. for instance if we don't raise the hand then then it's it's gone and nobody will and so yeah we are we are the ones the key piece uh, that needs to speak the key piece they can make or take and uh that's or make or break and it's that's incredible it's incredible power but also uh, uh really uh, uh a problem i guess we really have to be mindful about it and it seems to be i think this maybe ties back into
2: excellent developer again uh it's a huge responsibility that there's a certain level of skill we have to have. Uh, at the code part of it, to know for sure what it's doing, and the human side of it, to be able to say something. And so maybe part of excellent developer is is this too, to be able to say there's a problem when there's a problem, because one you're able to tell, and two you're able to tell it to somebody.
1: Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. Um We're already well over time. Um, I don't want to bug you too much. Yeah. Um, Still, a minute for these uh, for sure. the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm. It's it's the first time I'm I'm writing that much. Um, with not publishing right away. So what, what you're mm-hmm. doing is, uh, you have this one week. Well, more or less in in uh, in the last weeks, but you were uh, holding this uh, this really hard uh, deadline of one week and then publishing it. Yeah, which is <laughs> uh, I, I totally respect that. That's that's really uh, really uh, amazing. Um, I did that for a while with my blog, so I would had the same thing in the publishing and, and, uh, and just not caring of refining too much, but now I'm kind of trapped in the other way, so I don't want to write something that, uh, that I publish right away, but kind of uh, thinking about it, and how did you lose yourself from, from refining and refining and refining and refining? Is it only the deadline, or do you have more tricks about this?
2: Uh, well, I wouldn't say that I stopped. Uh, I would okay. say that I, the, the time box helps. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way I think about it is it's, if, if I'm sketching out an episode, it's hopefully I've had an idea since last week. And usually, uh, two weeks from now, I have a guess about what I'm going to do. And then after I do this week's, I, the guess goes away. I have a different idea. I have a <laughs> backlog, but it's really just. It's just an icebox. I don't go in there. If if I'm really stuck for what should I even do, I'll look in there. But that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. I just do whatever I feel like I should based on what I just did. In fact, for the last several episodes, I really wanted to do something about uh, how do you know that what you have is a team or not? Mm -hmm. And why does it matter whether it's a team or not? And so I thought what I was going to do after the mob episode was... Uh, if you're not working on the same problem at the same time at the same computer What makes you a team? Because mm-hmm. obviously if you're mobbing you probably are one and but if you're not you might still be one. How can we tell? hmm I thought that was a great logical progression, and I couldn't figure out what to say about it <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I didn't do that. Uh, So that happens too, but the process for me is generally uh, I have a topic in mind I don't know exactly what I'm going to say but I feel I feel energetic enough about it that I'm going to fill up a screen or two with just here are things I want to make sure that I cover or here's some wordplay about it. Here are the different senses of the word, uh, so on and so forth. And then I get to where I have more than enough words and I'm not worried about that. Then is the hard part, which is the editing, the editing, 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 editing. And that, uh, it can be anywhere from two hours to four or five.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So I wouldn't say that I, I've gotten past the uh, the refining, refining, refining. I think that's still, uh, if there's a bottleneck in the process, it's there. Mm-hmm. It's just that I'm not really comfortable with skipping very much of that part because I really don't want to waste anybody's time. And if it's not a really good three minutes, I don't want to put it out there. Uh, okay. I maybe have gotten a little better at it, but not a lot.
1: Oh, quite good, from what I see.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, in terms of speed. Uh, thank you, by the way. But I, I don't feel like I've mastered uh, what is it about this process that is slow, so that I can make it faster. <laughs> it's, it's still slow. Uh, it's still frustrating. It's still something that if I'm not in the right frame of mind, I can't even start. <laughs> I have to bring the right energy to it. Um, the time box is... I think for me, the enabling constraint I think if i didn't have a time box i would I would never know when I was done. I would feel like there's always better that I could do, and there wouldn't be some kind of a deadline making me do something
3: mm-hmm.
2: and if i didn't have that i wouldn't it would it would just seem like it's too hard, so i'm not going to start because I'm a perfectionist, and it's i need I need somebody to or at least I need my own self to force me to stop at
1: some point. <clears throat> Because mm-hmm. <clears throat> that's what lets me start. Okay, and how how do you uh, feel about the episodes that are out there? Uh, do you sometimes have oh, uh, damn, if I if I had said this, how do you come up? Uh, how do you how do you handle this?
2: I do have that. Uh, there are episodes that I feel like I really nailed it with that one, and then there are episodes where I feel like. Well, that's an episode.
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh,
2: and then I do sometimes have insights afterward. There's, there's always, I think almost always, uh, at least one wording or other little tiny edit that I think of after it's published. Mm-hmm. And that's also been good for me to just say, well, too bad. <laughs> to that one's <laughs> okay. done.
1: You're not changing it anymore. Okay, so yeah. maybe I really need a, a time box, then we uh, really need to do something about this. Yeah. Uh, I have the exact same uh, experience so I'm, I'm writing in the morning. Um, I just wake up really, really early and meditate a bit and then just go and go on writing and i I have a list of all the chapters I want to, or all the uh, the essays I want to write, and I'm writing uh, wildly up and down and at some point starting at the beginning and really grasping what, what feels right right now. And not at all picking one one subject and say okay now I need to write on this one. So it's kind of the same experience that you are having. If the energy is not there, then well, screw it. No no use trying. So oh cool. Um, uh, one last question. The the more the more I write I read about this or the more I write on write on it and work on it, I realize there are some some resources out there. So for instance, I discovered a couple of days ago the uh, the book pa- the Passionate Programmer from Chad Fowler. Um, Heard of that, yeah. I didn't know about that one before, and that's too bad because it's a really good one apparently. He had
2: a terrific blog post maybe like a year or two ago about uh, if he was going to hire a programmer, who, who he wants to hire. Okay. And there was something like 12 characteristics. Let's see. Who I want to hire, I think it was called. Yeah, exactly. This one. Okay, cool. And uh, it really appealed to my ego because I felt like I matched. <laughs> <laughs> well, and not only that, but then uh, my friend, the one that, that hired me and taught me everything, uh, who has gotten pretty good at stuff himself since then, he, he, said, he made a spreadsheet of all the people that he thinks of as the best people that he knows, and he measured them on all these characteristics. And he put me oh, on okay. top, so it's that really to in my ego.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that goes on feelings. <laughs> what? Well, great, great, great. Uh, have you read the book?
2: Is no, it, I, ha- I haven't. Oh, no? okay. I made a little window here for it.
1: What's so good about it? I I don't know. I just wrote, read read the uh, the um, uh, the listing of the chapters. And so it was really insightful. So really interesting topics. Um, a lot about developing, about uh, soft skills, about uh, yourself, about a bit of psychology. So I, I just downloaded it on uh, on, uh, on my Kindle and would read it during the uh, the holidays. So we'll see about it. Uh, and I, I read uh, Soft Skills from, from John John Sanders, mm-hmm. which was very good, but not not at all what I expected so way more on the uh, on the entrepreneurship side and uh being financially um financially safe and making this a safe bubble for yourself to be able to experiment and do what you want and less on the well how to be a good teamwork, team worker or a good yeah. a good colleague and that was more what I was expecting with soft skills but it sounds like it has what? the wrong title and then it's a good book exactly okay exactly I wish it was damn because I would like this title for yeah. my book. But
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know where but, I heard it, but I I heard it from some places that soft skills are actually the hard ones. Yes. So maybe there's a there's a title in there somewhere.
1: Well, I, I kind of settled on developer journey. Um, I really like the uh, the the idea of uh, of continuous learning. Mm-hmm. It's something that you never achieve because well you can't achieve achieve it and. The book um, kind of uh, relates this. It's something I, I want to craft for for well, ones as I said. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure I'm sure uh, people with way more experience can still. Oh, I would like to uh, take something out of it and still still relate to relate to it and, and read something and, and say, well, okay, that, that that's true, and, and maybe I've I've grown since then, and, and I can add something to it, and it's become something different. So, well, if it know. would. Uh you mentioned that you you have to have some discipline
2: about when you write and when you stop and all that. Do you have reviewers yet that you want to have
1: a look at what you're doing? I do have a couple of ones. Um, if you want to be part of them... Uh, if it would help, I'd be, uh, I would happy to, I'd be happy to read. Definitely, yeah. yeah. I'll add I'll, uh, you in the loop. Cool. Uh, well, we're well over time, I'm sorry for that. Well, Anyway, thank you very much. That was really uh, uh, a nice chat. Yeah, very nice talking to you.